All right, good morning, and we'll uh, keep on plugging away this morning through the Ten Commandments. We've gone through Commandments 1 through 5 so far, and so uh, the reason we have a little bit lighter attendance today is because we're on the Sixth Commandment, and that's everyone's favorite one to talk about. Um, Kind of quick maybe to review, the first three commandments deal with our relationship with God and that God is jealous and wants us to have that perfect relationship with Him. And then uh, the fourth commandment protects God's gift of authority, beginning with the family and the home and parents, uh, and then also expanding to government and uh, uh, teachers and any person really that's in authority over you. Oh, good morning. Good morning. Uh, and then the fifth commandment protects God's gift of life. Uh, and that's where we spent quite a bit of our time last week talking about uh, how God gives life. Uh, and then uh, we try to protect that, meaning we don't take life. Um, we don't uh, hurt or harm people, but rather we do what we can to support them in their life. And that brings us then to the sixth commandment, uh, which once again... You know, it's the one that nobody likes to talk about, um, yet it still is God's word. And it's a word, maybe the way we should think about it first is that it is a gift that God has given. He created marriage um, before the fall into sin. In Genesis chapter 2, God performs the first marriage. He's the pastor that does it. When uh, Adam and Eve are there, he brings the two together, and uh, he reunites them as one flesh. For this reason, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, is the text where God creates marriage. And then it's right after that, then, that sin happens, which means marriage is such a good gift because it was created before sin. Our challenges and struggles with marriage come after that. Why are there divorces now? Because of sin. Why is there uh, extramarital activities going on? Because of sin. Uh, but it all stems from that fact that God gifted us marriage, which means uh, husbands, your wife is God's gift to you, right? Wives, your husband is God's gift to you. And that's a good uh, thing. It's a blessing from God. Um, and whether you're always very happy with that person or not, God did give them to you uh, as a blessing. And we need to keep that part in mind. I'm sure you guys all have perfect relationships and you're always appreciative and thankful for the gift of your spouse or significant other. <laughs> Good thing she didn't see that, right? No, <laughs> just either. Um, so God gives marriage um, for a, of a number of reasons. Number one, it's not good uh, for man to be alone, it, meaning not just man, but also wife. It's good to have that person there as a companion. Uh, scripture says, uh, you know, one person might freeze to death in the cold, but two will keep warm. Uh, scripture says a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Uh, you know, you have one thread easy to break, but many threads, uh, the, the rope is strong. Um, uh, so the God gives us companionship, uh, a person to spend our life with in marriage. And uh, that's a great blessing. And, and um you know, place I see that the most is when people are getting older and one one of the spouses has cancer or Parkinson's or something like that. Who's the one who takes care of them? Their spouse, first of all. Uh, and uh, what a great blessing that is for the one dealing with the sickness or the difficulty. A great challenge for the other one, uh, but uh, a great blessing. Think about two financially, uh, two are better than one. So in that way, God gives marriage for that reason, and it is a great blessing. God gives marriage also then for the procreation of children, and not just the procreation, but also the fact that then they are raised up. Um, how long does it take to raise a kid? Entire life. <laughs> Entire life. It's not just something where the baby pops out and you can say, all right, 
good luck right if you get work. <laughs> and uh, not only that, what a blessing to have husband and wife together there to raise the kid, to teach the kid, so that when one is doing something, the other's there still to interact with the kid, or vice versa. Um, the things that are more in dad's field of expertise, dad can teach, and the things that are more in mom's field of expertise, mom can teach, and every family divides those things up differently, but to have the two people there to both impart their personalities and their care and their compassion upon the kids, uh, what a blessing. Um, that's God's gift of marriage, and the sixth commandment protects that uh, in our sinful world. So maybe before we get into all the ways that this commandment is broken among us, any questions about the gift of marriage? I think that's an important place to start in this, because otherwise the church just sounds like some place where you have a bunch of laws and rules without any context, and the marriage is the context of this particular commandment. So any questions about God's gift of marriage to start? We did that very quick. Try and see if we can't get through more than just one commandment this week. <laughs> I'm not counting my or holding my breath on that. So. so where does this commandment then get broken and violated is, is where more people are familiar with, with us in the church and where we stand. Um, that's easy to see in our world today. I think one of the, the big ones that we deal with ever since I was a kid, they've talked about this, is divorce. And they've talked about how more than 50% of new marriages will end in divorce. And how many of us have family members that have dealt with that in one shape or form? My grandparents uh, on the one side were divorced. Um, and I think I have um, cousins who have been divorced, and uh, you know, it's something that is really kind of common anymore, and we look on uh, at celebrities, the people that we watch on TV, how many of them are not divorced, right? Even from back in the 50s and 60s, um, we were just watching um, White Christmas, right? And uh, every one of the actors you look up, because you think, Oh, Bing Crosby, he'd be 115 years old if he was still alive. That makes me feel old, too. Um, but you see all those people, even back then, had three or four wives. Elizabeth Taylor, she wasn't in White Christmas, but she was a movie star back then. How many husbands did she have? Um, nine or ten? Divorce breaks God's gift of marriage. Now, in marriage, if the two become one flesh... What does divorce do to that one flesh? Breaks it. Yeah, it rips it apart. It's kind of like if you had your arm torn off, would that be a pleasant experience? No. If the two become one flesh and we rip it apart so it's two again, uh, it leaves scars, it leaves pain and suffering, and not just for husband and wife, but then also for any kids that have come about uh, in that marriage. So divorce hurts God's good gift of marriage. Um, God's gift of marriage also gives a place for um, sexual activity to occur. And in our world today, it's more and more common for that sort of thing to take place outside of marriage. And maybe the way that I like to talk about it, so that nobody turns red or looks down at their shoes or whatever, is, is thinking about a fire in your house. Okay, at our house we have a fireplace and we can stack wood up in the fireplace and light the wood on fire and it is beautiful, it is wonderful, uh, it fills up the house with heat and warmth. We can, the kids just sit there and watch it for hours and hours and hours. Um, it is good to have a fire in the fireplace, which is where it's designed to be. When the couch sets on fire, we have a problem because the, the fire is no longer in the place it's supposed to be. Um, and that's the way it is with God and with uh, marriage. God designed 
sex to take place within the confines of marriage. When it gets outside of marriage, that's where we have issues. Uh, that's where it gets to be dangerous. And as a pastor, you see that it hurts lots and lots of people in many, many ways because it's like many divorces taking place over and over and over again with people in our world today. Uh, and for that reason, we do want sex to take place only within marriage between husband and wife. Uh, it is God's way of trying to protect us from that, that pain. Um, another violation of God's good gift of marriage comes about um, with, how do I start going down this path? God, when he created marriage in Genesis 2, took a man and a woman and put the two of them together. And he even says when he creates the woman uh, that um, if this is the man, this is the woman, and the two of them are good fits for each other, meaning the two of them go together, right, and they match. And um, what we like to do now in our society is, is to have man and man, and the two don't match. Right? They're not a good fit. Maybe they match too much. I don't know how you say it, but they don't go together the same way that husband and wife do. Or uh, woman and woman now. And we get put down a lot, but we stand for marriage between one man and one woman for life because that's what Scripture says and that's what God says. And um, so there we go. I don't know how far we need to go down that particular topic. It's really unpopular, but... Um, it's so what Scripture says and God says, and so we uphold it as true. Uh, Romans chapter 1, which Pastor Poppy, I think, probably covered here not very long ago, deals with that as well, um, that people exchanged uh, the proper relationship uh, for an abomination, and men and men and women and women, and that that's not according to God's word either. Um yeah, questions so far? <laughs> um, I'm not making an excuse here, Pilot, but when is it okay to have a divorce? When is it okay to have divorce? That's a, the wrong question, maybe. <laughs> That's a question of the law. And when we get to the law, it gets really difficult. God says uh, one man and one woman for life. And that's the way that it's supposed to be. And that's the way it should be, that the man and the, the woman, as we say during the marriage rite, until death do they part. That's what it should be always. And anything that goes outside of that is a result of sin. Now, I know that's not what your question is asking. Your question is asking, are there situations where divorce might be the best case? And the answer is yes. When one of the two people has violated their promises in that um, wedding rite that they've promised to have, to hold, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, um, till death do we part, I think, in, in riches or poverty, all those things. You make that promise, and when that promise is violated, and the person who violates it is unrepentant towards that. And perhaps the one that we see the most in this case is uh, abuse, okay? So let's say husband is beating wife and is never acknowledges that it's wrong and never seeks to do better but continues to do so for the sake of wife, we say you, you need to get away from there. And it's not just then physical abuse, but say there's verbal abuse that continues. Uh, or um, let's say husband is sleeping with secretary at church, or secretary at church, secretary at work. I work at church, so. <laughs> um, sleeping with secretary at work and doesn't care that that violates his promise in marriage and continues to do so, um, that's a problem. And any time that those promises are continually violated without repentance for the sake of the other one, we say divorce is what we should do. It's not good. It still hurts. But there's no other option for the spouse who's not 
who's not violating those commandments. Does that kind of make sense, the way to put it? Um, it's still bad. Jesus says, um, I think in the Gospel of Matthew, that um, it's because of stubborn hearts that God allows divorce. And that's the exact truth. What would be the best thing? Let's say, let's say husband is having the affair and gets caught. What's the best thing that can happen? He repents. Yeah. We, we say, we, we understand you're having an affair. It goes against God's word. It's hurting your relationship with God. It's hurting your relationship with your spouse. It's hurting your relationship with your kids. It's wrong, and you shouldn't be doing it. The best thing that could happen would be, husband says, yeah, it's terrible. Confesses that his sin is forgiven, and the two move forward. Now, is that ever going to be exactly like it was before? No. It's going to take a lot of work and time and communication to get the relationship where husband and wife are together again. And there's going to be consequences of that for the rest of the marriage, but that would be the best thing that could happen. Sometimes, because of sinful, stubborn people, it just doesn't work that well. Um, it's easier for us sinners to not forgive, uh, to not repent, and to not make right something that we're doing that's wrong. We need the forgiveness of Christ to go forward, and that's the only place that that foundation can be reforged, hopefully for the future. Other questions? Just to maybe go down a little further down that path uh, with homosexuality in our world today. I like to ask people this question. Are there homosexuals in our church body? Yeah, um, there are. What's the difference between them and maybe one that's not in our church body? They're possibly repenting of that. Right is that they understand that their urges and what they're doing maybe is not according to God's word. They call it sin. They speak the truth about it. They receive absolution, and they are still in the church. It's when uh, unrepentance is there, where we say, I was born this way, and I'm going to live this way, and I don't care what God's word says, that we have issues. We would have that same issue if it was any sin. So say... Um, someone is stealing cars, we would say to them, what? It's not good to steal cars. The person can either say, you're right, I repent, I'm sorry, or they can say, up yours, pastor, I'm going to steal cars because that's where the money is, right? And then my minivan will be gone. No, <laughs> that's not where the money is, right? Um, it's repentance that we seek in all, and that's why we speak the truth about sin, is so that we can also speak the forgiveness of sins that comes through Jesus. We don't rejoice in any sin, um, and we want to call it sin and apply Christ to it. Same thing then with living together, right? Um, why does a pastor have to talk about that? Do you think that we enjoy having a conversation about living together and, you know, ha, we're finally going to tell someone that they're sinful. No. But why do we talk about it? So that we can also hear the word of forgiveness through Jesus and go forward in the true faith in the grace and mercy of Christ that all of us have to have. Um, we've talked through all the other commandments. We said, have we broken these commandments? And this is one where all of us have also sinned against marriage in some way, shape, or form. If you've watched the Super Bowl and seen Super Bowl commercials, right, you have broken the Sixth Commandment. Because what do they always have in Super Bowl commercials? Any commercial, let's just be honest. What sells? Sex. Sex, right? So, you know, if I want to sell a hamburger, I'm going to get a picture of me in a Speedo Enjoying a hamburger. I just wanted you to think about that. <laughs> just teasing. <laughs> but now you've just broke 
<laughs> the sixth commandment, right? Um, I like to watch the Big Bang Theory, right? What are they all doing in the Big Bang Theory? You know, Sheldon and Amy are breaking the Sixth Commandment. It used to be that Penny and Leonard were breaking the Sixth Commandment. Um, Kenny Raj breaks the Sixth Commandment with a variety of people, all these things. It's thrown in our face all the time, and it all breaks down what marriage ought to be according to God's word. And um, more and more and more, this particular commandment is being broken. And we here at Good Shepherd uphold it and seek what, to do what we can to proclaim the truth and to forgive sins that go against that. And that's what our goal is. All right. Questions about the sixth commandment? Um, in, in regards to homosexuality, uh, I heard this fairly recently, and I believe you know what I'm going to be talking about here. Somebody who is openly homosexual says, God loves me for who I am. Basically saying it was okay for this person to live in that sin. So if God's a loving God, he's going to love me for the way I am anyway, so who cares if I, I live like this? Yeah, I, I'd say that's a misunderstanding of what the word love means. Um, so I have four kids and I love my kids and because I love my kids uh, I don't let them play in the street because I love my kids I tell them they should not touch the stove uh, anytime because I don't want them to be in the habit of touching the stove because sometime it might be hot and they'll burn themselves. Sometimes the car might be driving down the road and not see them. And so because I love them, I also tell them what's good and best for them uh, and what things they should not do to keep them safe. And that's the same thing God does with all the commandments, including the sixth commandment. And God says, here's what's best for you, one man, one woman for wife, or God is equal opportunity as well as some people will not get married and what's best for them and that is living a life of chastity and God's clear in his word about these things uh, he talks about homosexuality he talks about marriage talks about living together he talks about all that stuff and he's his word is very clear and so to say that God loves me uh, and so I can do whatever I want to is not being honest about what God says in his word. And it's, it's sad that that's where people are in our world today, but I get that response quite often. The loving thing that we can do is say, here's what God's word says, what God wants, and admit so often it says, oh, yeah, well, you sin too. And the answer is, yeah, absolutely right. We all sin. We all break God's word. Um, we all need to be in a constant state of repentance and faith that comes out of that. And um, it, I think it's intellectually dishonest to say God loves me the way I am when he sent his son Jesus to die for you the way you are. <laughs> to forgive your sin the way you are, and to set you free from your bondage to sin. It's not easy. If, if you are struggling with homosexuality, that is a lifelong burden that you have because of sin. We in the church are here to stand with you, to support you in the forgiveness of sins, uh, to forgive your sin when you fall short of that, and to um, be there when you're struggling with that. But we can't just say that sin is okay in any circumstance. And, and therein lies the challenge. And that would be with, with whatever the sin is, right? Whether you're... <laughs> We can't just say that's only for homosexuality. It's also for the, the man who is a, uh, struggling with adultery in any of the other forms, say maybe um, pornography or 
um, you know, bring home a different person every weekend, uh, whatever it is, it's sin. God seeks our repentance and to apply the forgiveness through Jesus to that sin. Uh, the difference between <coughs> someone who struggles with homosexuality and those who are openly gay, it, would, would you say the difference is, is that one repents and the other one does not? Right. That's safe to say, okay, so... And repentance and faith are things that go together. And when we're unrepentant, that hurts our faith. Because what it's, when you're unrepentant for any sin, let's just do one that's maybe, uh, you know, uh, stealing. Let's do stealing, right? When I continue to steal from my neighbor, what I'm doing is saying God's word about that subject doesn't apply to me. And when I say God's word doesn't apply to me, I am returning to the sin of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and rejecting God, the God who's revealed himself in his word. And that hurts faith. And so the, the Lutheran confessions are very clear on this. When we sin, the reason it's dangerous is because it hurts and damages our faith. On the other hand, no one will be in hell because of their sin. Right? Because all of us sin every day. We don't go to hell because of sin. We go to hell because of unbelief. All sin has been forgiven, including homosexuality, including adultery, including theft. But faith seeks to live apart from sin. And if you don't seek to live apart from sin, that means you have a problem in the faith department. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So if this person said, um, you know, the person who's, who's gay says, well, I believe in God, so I'm not going to go to hell. Is that true? Or are they standing on the edge of thin ice and they're risking... The question you ask then is, what God? Right? What God is it that you have faith in? The God of the scriptures says a word about these activities that's very clear. Is that the God that you have faith in? Because if it is, how do you reconcile yourself to what he says then? Right? It's like dad. Dad said, um, your curfew, you need to be home by 11 o'clock. I don't know what, right? And when, when dad says be home by 11, his word carries a certain of authority with it, right? If you say, I don't care what my dad said and you stay out till midnight, the problem isn't with dad and his word, but with what you believe about dad and his word. The same thing with God in here. So if um, Nadia Boltz Weber is a ELCA pastor who's been big on this topic here lately, um, she's, she wants to say you're free to do whatever you want to in regards to sexual ethics even to the point where she's just been in the news she wants to melt down um, chastity rings and I don't, this is maybe embarrassing right <laughs> she wants to melt them down and forge them into a giant sculpture of a female genitalia okay just to prove that you know, um, God doesn't care what you do with your genitalia. Well, what does God say about all these things? <laughs> Who is the God that she's worshiping then? It's not the God of Scripture that says certain things. It's a God in her own creation that doesn't care about these things. And therefore, it's not the true God. And therefore, our faith is once again the issue. I don't know if that's answering your question, Jim, or? Uh, yeah, it certainly does. I never thought about it that way. That's why, how do I say this? There's the churches you drive by and they have the sign over the door that say all are welcome, right? Um, 
What they mean by that isn't what actually we would say. Are, are all people welcome here at Good Shepherd? Absolutely. So long as we also are repentant for whatever sin we're bringing here. And the thing here is that every single person that sits in the pew is bringing sin here. Even the, the pastors standing in front of the church and leading the service are sinful people that have sin. Um, we, we can even get specific and say, all the pastors and the vicar here have broken the sixth commandment in one way, shape, or form. And we are all sinners. But we'll say that about ourselves. I, a poor miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities. Why? To receive forgiveness. And that faith that trusts in Jesus who forgives sins is the thing that saves us. That's why we'll be in heaven. Um, because of Christ and what he's done. And we keep on sinning. We keep on confessing. We keep being forgiven and receiving that grace and seeking to do better as we go forward. Questions? Okay, that's probably enough for the Sixth Commandment. Um, when you're dealing with someone violating the Sixth Commandment, it's extra difficult because Scripture says when you break the Sixth Commandment, it's a commandment you're breaking against your own body. And so people are very protective of that. So the best way to deal with it isn't just to go tell them they're going to hell. <laughs> But do speak God's word and says, God doesn't say this is the best plan. Um, we're all sinful. Let's confess. Let's talk to a pastor about it. Let's receive forgiveness. Let's go forward. That's the way we all, uh, Pastor Poppy and I both try to deal with this, is to say, here's what God's word says. Here's how we live in the forgiveness of sins. We don't just tell people, because I know the situation you were referencing, we don't ever just tell someone, they're going to hell. Um, not that directly, usually. We're, we are tactful. We speak the truth of God's word. And the response there determines the faith. And the faith is what, lack of faith is what sends people to hell. All right. Seventh commandment. You shall not steal. Just like the fourth commandment protects God's gift of authority, the fifth commandment protects God's gift of life, and the sixth commandment protects God's gift of marriage, the seventh commandment protects God's gift of possessions and stuff and things. And this relates us back to the first article of the creed where I believe in God the Father, creator of heaven and earth, which means that God has given me my clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, wife, children, land, animals. All that I need to support this body and life comes from God. Um, for example, the shirt that I'm wearing here um, that covers up the Speedo. No, just <laughs> the shirt I'm wearing. Sure, I bought it from a store. Uh, my wife lovingly washes it for me every week. Um, it came from some plant that grew cotton and I don't know, probably whatever they make polyester out of, right? Um, it came from those things. Some guy made it somewhere. Go all the way back. The ultimate source for it is from God. And God has allowed whatever this shirt is made out of to be in my possession so that I can wear something when I come to church on Sunday morning. Praise be to God, right? <laughs> God provided it for me to take care of me. Seventh commandment also then protects the things God has given me so that people aren't taking them for themselves. Okay? Taking something from someone else for yourself is breaking this commandment because God didn't give you that thing. Okay, so that's one side of it. The other side of it is this, too. God sometimes gives you more than you need. Why? Yeah, right? Okay, so um, one spouse 
usually makes more than the other spouse, right? And maybe makes enough that they can take care of the whole family by themselves. Okay? Not always. Lots of times. Why? God is using the one to take care of the rest. Or maybe even better example would be, how much income do kids provide to their families? Negative. <laughs> Negative. Right. How are they taken care of? How does God take care of a kid? By giving enough to the parent to provide for them. How does God provide for the hungry? And maybe this is something we think about a lot at this time of the year. We just had the Lincoln Food Bank came and picked up a barrel of food that was overflowing into the entryway of the church sanctuary. And through giving more than enough to people of our congregation, he's using that to feed people who don't have enough this Christmas season. And hopefully the whole year round, right? Because people are hungry in July also. <laughs> Um, we just had at our um, last council meeting a report uh, from Ramon from Venezuela where the church people had been given more than enough from God and they used that more than enough to provide food uh, and supplies to people down in Venezuela. And is the uh, picture and the pictures, are they out there in the entryway to church? So you can go see pictures of how Good Shepherd Lutheran Church members here, through the gifts that God has given them, helped people in need. And even then, and this is, don't take this as selfish, right? The same thing with the offering, right? God uses where he's given you more than enough to feed a pastor and his family so that he can preach God's word to you. So that we can turn the heat on in the church so when you come, it's not, this is a bad winter to do it, it's not 55 degrees in there, right? Um, God uses all the stuff that he gives you to take care of your neighbor also. And that's another reason then stealing is bad. If if Jim has more than enough and I steal what he has for myself, he no longer can take care of his neighbor, his kids, his wife, his, his parents, whoever's in need that is a neighbor to Jim. Even, I don't want to get political here, but um, God gives you more than enough so that you can afford to pay taxes so that there's a road that goes between Lincoln and Omaha so that you can travel there, um, so that you can support the soldier who is overseas defending your freedom and your life and your property here. God provides, and we use that then to care for those who are in need. Questions about the seventh commandment? Um, I'm going to throw this out here. A Joel Osteen kind of a reference. Are you more blessed by God if you have more stuff compared to that person who's homeless? <clears throat> well, you are more blessed when you have more things. Uh, but to quote Spider-Man back at him, with great gifts comes great responsibility, right? Um, and furthermore, the greatest blessing that God gave you is not your stuff, but rather Christ, Christ um, who has given you everything in the world that is to come. And without him, nothing that you have do you have. So God does distribute blessings in different ways. Some people have more. Some people have less physical possession-wise. Some people have more in the looks department. Some people have no, just <laughs> some people have less. God doesn't fare that way. So in that way, maybe he's a little bit right. But his problem is, Joel Osteen is, he says, if you have more faith, then God will give you more in this world. And that's false. 
Um, and the greatest gift that God gives is not your stuff, but rather Christ. Does that sound fair? Mm -hmm. Who are we to judge how God distributes things in this world? That's, that's up to God, and it's not up to us. If God has given me a million dollars, and I only use that for myself, that is a confession of faith that I don't care about the people God cares about. If I get that million dollars and I use it to benefit people around me, that's a confession of faith that Christ has already given me everything that's important, and now God has allowed me to care for my neighbor so that they might also learn about Christ and how important he is. There's two different mindsets there. Get back here. Oh my kids. Goodness. Other questions about the seventh commandment? Okay. Let's uh, let's go on to the eighth commandment then. Look at this. We're going to get maybe through three. The eighth commandment: You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, fourth commandment protects God's gift of authority. Fifth, God's gift of life. Sixth, God's gift of marriage. Seventh, God's gift of possessions. The eighth commandment protects God's gift of a good reputation. Okay? And that, um, to start with, the thing God says about you is more important than what other people say. And what has God said about you? In baptism, he said, you are mine. I forgive all your sins. I have given you eternal life, and you will be my possession always. You are holy because I say you're holy. You're righteous because I say you're righteous. God says this about us. And um, not only has God said this about me, but God said this about Jim, and I keep picking on Jim because we have a history, so I can pick on your wife too. I remember her from college too, but <laughs> no. God says that about Jim too. So if I say uh, secretly to one of you, you know, Jim smells funny, and let's see, his, um, he's kind of lazy, and he... Um, I don't know, Jim. <laughs> Can't make up stuff about you, right? If I'm saying that behind Jim's back about Jim, I'm speaking a word that is different than what God has said. And that hurts Jim. And that hurts my faith when I say something different than what God has said about someone. We're really good at this, though, aren't we? <laughs> right? I used to live in a small town. And in a small town, uh, all the retired folks every morning went over to the coffee shop and they sat there drinking coffee and shaking dice and visiting about all the other people in town, right? Did you hear that so-and-so lost their job? Did you hear so-and-so had cancer? Oh, it's because they were smoking and smoking and smoking. That's what they have coming to them, right? We do it at, I don't know. Do you guys have water coolers at work, <laughs> right? Isn't that where it's supposed to happen, that we gossip about everybody? Did you hear Bill's getting this? Oh, he's getting a promotion, but he doesn't deserve it. What a lazy bum. We hurt each other's reputations all the time. And when we're doing that, we're saying something different than what God says. And God says that's a sin because God's word is more important than our word. Okay? Um... We do this one so often, we don't even think about it. It just happens naturally, right? If you doubt it about yourself, um, what's your plan for Christmas, right? Get together with family. Do you like all of them that you're getting together with? <laughs> Is there one or two that you wish weren't coming? And when you get done with Christmas and you're driving home from grandma and grandpa's, what's your conversation about? I, I know what our conversation is about, right? Oh, yeah, blah, 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 blah. Can you believe that so-and-so said that? That's the Eighth Commandment. We break that commandment. We're guilty. We're sinful. Um, we need the forgiveness of Christ to cover us 
in the Eighth Commandment, in the Seventh Commandment, in the Sixth Commandment, and in all the rest as well. Um, maybe this is a good time to stop and say we've covered seven commandments, or eight commandments. How many of them have you kept? Zero. How are you going to be in heaven then? Christ crucified. Christ crucified. That's the only thing that we can plead when we stand in front of God is that Christ has died for my sins and he's what I have to confess as my only chance of being in heaven. And God says that's the best answer. Uh, Christ crucified. That's the only solution to our sin. All right. Let's... Um, we might be able to quick just do 9 and 10 and, and get all the commandments done. It, and maybe if we'll do it this way, we have this word in the ninth commandment, covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, servant, uh, ox, donkey, or anything that is your neighbor. Um, what's the word covet mean? To want. To want. To want badly, right? Uh, greatly desire. Um, it has, has to go back with where do you get your stuff from? God. From God. Coveting is saying, I don't think you've done well enough at what you've given me, God, because I would really like that also. Right? The... Um, what is it now? The iPhone 10, 10R, 10, I don't know. They got the commercials on, right? I really want that one because when I have that thing, then my life will be complete. And then in two years, is that iPhone 10 going to make your life complete still? Because they'll have the iPhone 12, 13, I don't know how they count them. Um, well, God, you've given me this house now, but it's really not enough. I really need the one that has uh, a swimming pool in the backyard. Why didn't you give me that one, God? Um, I don't know. The list goes on and on and on with these things that we covet. It protects the desires of our hearts so that we love God for what he does provide and appreciate him as the one who provides it rather than despising him and wanting different things for ourselves. And it, it's not just stuff too, it comes down to relationships too, right? This goes back to the sixth commandment. Um, yeah, Violet says, yeah, God, I, Jim's okay, but I really wish it was Matthew McConaughey. I don't know. <laughs> Or, um, my kids are okay, but I really wish they behaved like Bill's kids. Or that they got better grades like George's kids. Um, all these things where we despise the things God does give, and we want something better for ourselves. That, that is the ninth and the tenth commandment. We can go into a little bit more detail, but I think maybe we're getting close to the end of time. Any questions about that? Not necessarily on coveting, but how in the world do we get ten commandments? Because if you look at the Bible, it, it looks like all one commandment. It doesn't look like two. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. I mean, that's that's all verse 17. But somehow we get two commandments out of that. That looks like... Yeah. Well, the first thing I would say is, is that the numbers and the verses 
are a much, much later addition. They come from uh, the 11th century, and so the Bible had been in existence, this particular part, uh, for sure, for 2,000 years before numbers were put in there. Next thing I would say is that in the book of Exodus, where they're recorded for us, it doesn't say that there are 10 at that place. It is later on in the Old Testament that we are referred back to the fact that there were 10 words given from Mount Sinai from God. And so then we have to take that other word and we look back and we say we have to divide this into 10. And there are different ways for numbering them in the 10. Um, the way that we in the Lutheran Church do number the 10 is the way that historically has been done all the way back um, to the time of Christ himself. There is a more modern way of doing it that's just since the time of the Reformation that is done by the Reformed, and that's where they divide the uh, first commandment uh, into two by adding on, you shall have no other gods, nor shall you make any image of that God. We take that to mean we shouldn't worship, you know, a picture of Jesus. A picture of Jesus is just here to teach us about Jesus, but it's not, this is not Jesus. They would say it's a separate commandment and we can't even have a picture of Jesus. And so um, there's that group. And there's even another way that um, the, the Jews have done it since the time of Christ. They changed the way they numbered them so that um, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt is actually their first commandment. The truth is we don't know how they were all perfectly numbered in God's mind. We know he says there's 10. We know this is the way that historically has been passed down to us. They've been numbered. And so that's what we go with. There's more of a discussion on this uh, with Pastor Kuhlman's radio show, which I think you probably can tell us where that's found on the KNNA website. Um, but uh, this is the way historically it's been done and that we followed in that same path. How's that for... <laughs> Other questions? All right. If not, why don't we close the Lord's Prayer and then have a Merry Christmas and uh, enjoy your time with the family God has given you. <laughs> All right, let's close the prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>